I kind of threw a little out there. I'll unpack it a bit, but we're typically uh, focused on these single tenant properties with triple net leases. Now, what does that mean? That means, of course, you know, for all listeners who haven't seen a lot of this, that means the tenant's responsible for taxes, maintenance, insurance. And our leases, we, you know, some people call them absolute triple net. It just means that the tenant's also responsible for capital expenditures, right? Roof and structure and parking lot, all of that, all of that uh, is included there. So we're left with virtually no expenses on the responsibility of the landlord. Um, what a year 2020 was 2021 is here and i hope you're hitting the ground running i know we are here at dwelling we've just got a deal on the contract we're going to be closing on soon for those that have joined us on that deal um you know what i'm talking about if you are saying what am i talking about then you need to take your investing game to the next level in this year so make sure you join the dwelling deal list, an exclusive deal list. Um, not only do you get access to our deals quickly, but you also get tips and tricks about you know how you can take your, your investing game to the next level this year. So if you are not on the dwelling deal list, click on the link in the show notes or just go to dwelling.com. Um, that's DW. E-L-L-Y-N-N.com or just go to investwithola.com and just sign up. Sign up, sign up, sign up. Thank you so much for joining us on The Dwelling Show. I'm your host, Ola Dantes. I've got an incredible guest with us today. Hey, Drew, how you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me on. How are you doing? Doing fantastic. Cannot wait to jump into this. Obviously, I know your story. I've read your profile. Um, but I'd like you to kind of introduce yourself, um, you know, to our listeners, little about more who you are, what you've been doing, kind of what you've been up to lately. Sure. Yeah, my name is Drew Walgren. I'm, uh, I'm with Mag Capital Partners. Um, we are a commercial real estate investment shop. But uh, long before I joined, I've been investing in real estate um, actively at first. And then I really switched to more of a passive real estate investment strategy. So always been placing capital with different uh, well, well vetted sponsors who have expertise in their field, and eventually joined Mag Capital Partners because I appreciated the model and the and the team here so much. So for the last uh, couple of years, I've been the director of capital markets here, working with investors and banks as we make acquisitions of real estate property and and uh, putting together passive investments for our equity investors who join us on those. So um, it's been a great ride, and and uh, our our. Team is based in Texas. I'm actually out here in California, though, with a few of us out here. So we're spread out. We've been spread out. We've been doing the remote thing for well before COVID, and and just continue to to um, keep keep pushing forward that way. So that's kind yeah. of where I've been and and where we are now. No, thank you so much for that. Before we kind of jump into you know the strategies you guys. Um, you know, focus on, I kind of want to go back a little bit, you know, like, you know, how did you get into real estate? Why did you choose real estate? And then we kind of maybe go into some of your, I guess, passive activities before you kind of shifted into the active zone. So just tell us, give us a little bit of a brief, why real estate? How did you get involved with, with real estate investing? Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I bought my first house in at the very, you know, bottom of the market, you know, after the crash. And it was a, a great time to buy a house. And it was an investment property. I mean, it was, investing in my own property to live in and grow my family. And so I uh, moved there and, and put a lot of sweat equity. And I always kind of understood that piece. I go, look, um, this place is dated when we bought it. it. 
it wasn't falling apart, but it was dated. And so um, we did a lot of remodeling in there myself. And so I said, you know, this is, I looked at it as like a second job, you know, I said, Hey, I can do this on the side. Um, you know, let me put some money aside for some solar panels on the roof, you know, just adding value to the property as I lived in it. And it was kind of fun to do that and know that, Hey, this isn't just for my own, um, uh, you know, my own preferences. This is actually equity that I'm going to realize at some point. And it really worked, you know, I mean, that, uh, to be fair, I bought at the bottom of the market, right? So when we finally sold, um, not that much longer, about five years later, um, I said, wow, this is incredible. And I knew a lot of it was a market, but I knew I'd also really updated the property selling for much higher than all the houses in the area. So it was really cool to see the proof there. And like a lot of people in real estate, once you get your first taste of success and you say, wow, I want to keep going, it really motivates you to keep, um, uh, go further. But really at that point, I said, hey, do I want to keep this house and refinance and, and purchase a new house to move into it? And now just keep this old house, like a lot of people do, right? Hey, I'm going to buy a new house, move into it and keep the old one. I'm going to rent it out. And that's kind of how they get started. They just sort of leave a trail of rental houses behind them as they and invest in new homes for their own family. So I said, no, I don't want to do that. So I took a, um, um, I had that uh, over five years of living in a house. And so I, I didn't have a capital gains hit. The tax laws allowed me to take those profits um, without taxes. And I said, you know what? I'm going to take this directly to passive investments. So I, I went a few different directions, but a big piece of that um, in proceeds went directly towards commercial real estate investments. I came in as a limited partner with a few sponsors. My older brother had worked in uh, in the business a little bit with the syndicator capital raising firm. And so we had always talked and been close. And so he taught me a lot about the stuff, but I never really had the free cash to invest. So I jumped in there and really started enjoying analyzing deals, asking about a million questions on each one I looked at and really got a good understanding for it. So years later, after doing more and more of that, um, I had invested with Mad Capital Partners as a limited partner. And uh, my older brother, I mentioned him and I formed our own capital raising shop and quickly realized, you know what, we would rather just uh, partner with one sponsor. And we ended up just joining the team. Right. So we said, you know what, let's join the team here and we can build out our our efforts here and and uh, continue to expand and scale as a company. Um, the principals and team here are great. I've already gotten to know them long before I joined the team. And so um, my brother and I joined and it's been really um, a great move. So that's kind of how I got from, from there to here and uh, have always enjoyed the passive nature of this kind of investing. And um, the, the biggest part about it is really just leveraging people's experience. And so that's what I always kind of show. I go, look, we're a commercial real estate investment firm that has a really specific focus that you probably don't have much experience in, if any at all. So that's what we focus on. We're staying in our lane here. And if you want someone who knows what they're doing in this space, then you go to a sponsor who really knows it and deploy your capital with them. I mean, you said it's one of my favorite things, actually. And, um, you know, yeah, I do it. And we had a, a meetup here in Houston. And, you know, you get a bunch of people that come to these meetups and, you know, they all kind of, you know, want to do the same thing. Like, I want to be a syndicator. I want to get started. And, and I'm standing there thinking, are you, do you really want to be a syndicator or do you want to build wealth and just kind of get money rolling in? And I obviously, some people do want to go down that lane of being super active, but most people just really want to place their capital and watch it grow, right? Um, and I love what you said because you said, 
you found one partner and you just kind of stayed with that partner, right? I think that's a very unique um, outlook. And I think it's probably helped you guys um, do successfully well, I'm sure, in your capital raising shop because you were not kind of, you know, shotgun approach, speaking to like 50 different syndicators. And, you know, I think just really understanding that this is a marriage, it's long-term, I think that just really resonated with, with me. So I really think that's yeah, a good idea. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and we partnered on one deal in the very beginning. And then, you know, to be very clear, we're not just partnering on deals in the future. Uh, I am part of the team. We're all employees of the, of the firm here. So we are absolutely um, in-house efforts, which I really like because um, I've dealt with sponsors who um, you realize that they're actually not the operator. They're raising capital and working with investors, but there's a little bit of a chain of communication, right? And so it's really nice to be able to talk to our investors after just jumping off a call with our principals, our, our um, acquisition team, the construction facilities manager. And so we're always roundtabling what's happening currently, where are we at with each project? And now I can have that really uh, clear line of communication with our investors. They know that they're not talking to someone just with an extra layer of communication and gonna have some kind of misconstrued information. So it's nice to be able to have all that in-house um, because it just makes for a, um, a cleaner uh, line of transparency to investors, right? They know exactly who they're dealing with and what's happening on the ground. 100%, yeah, 100%. So now let's talk about the strategies. Are you, what kind of strategies are you guys um, primarily focused on? Yeah, mostly focused on single tenant industrial real estate with long triple net uh, triple net leases. So it's a uh, very specific. You know, we it's eighty or ninety percent is very similar in structure and in what we do, which is typically sale leaseback acquisitions. So I kind of threw a little out there. I'll unpack it a bit, but we're typically uh, focused on these single tenant properties with triple net leases. Now, what does that mean? That means, of course, you know, for all listeners who haven't seen a lot of this, that means the tenants responsible for taxes, maintenance, insurance, and our leases, we, you know, some people call them absolute triple net. It just means that the tenants also responsible for capital expenditures, right? Roof and structure and parking lot, all of that, all of that uh, is included there. So we're left with virtually no expenses on the responsibility of the landlord. Um, so that sale leaseback piece, though, is where we're purchasing a property from a seller who is actually a commercial business generally who's, um, who's occupying and operating out of this real estate. So they're simultaneously selling the property and leasing it back from us for usually 15, 20 year, really long term triple net lease. So it's really nice for us. I mean, what that means just from, from our perspective or any investor's perspective is that we're starting this acquisition with a fresh new lease that we were able to craft and make sure that we had you know strong language around all the pieces that we look for, uh, but also having a tenant in place from day one, right? There's no uh, renovations to be done. There's no tenant improvements to be done um, to, to get this tenant in place. They're already there, right? Usually these tenants have been there for decades, sometimes a, a very, very long time, you know, close to a, a century. So oftentimes they've been in there They've already um, they've already invested in the property. They're very well situated, and so you're cash flowing from day one, and you know you don't have any expenses with this triple net term. So the whole uh, this whole type of investment, all those pieces come together, and basically ensures that you have a really predictable cash flow from day one. I know I have 100% tenancy, no expenses, 
uh, no renewal risk on the lease, right? They're going to be here for 15 or 20 years. So I know exactly what I'm going to have in free operating cash flow uh, each month, right? So that's really nice. And there's not a lot of upside there, but there's also a very high degree of certainty around the cash flow that's coming in. I know that, you know, unlike maybe if I'm operating a, um, uh, you know, a, a single net or or other, we'll just call it a multifamily property, right? I can absolutely get hammered by expenses in one quarter, right? It, things that I I set aside for reserves and I just, um, you know, the expenses were above projected levels and that happens, right? You'll have a good quarter, a bad quarter. So you'll see the upside, the downside, whereas we have a much more predictable, very flat cash flow that does have built-in increases over time. So usually 2% annual rent bump to the tenant. So you are increasing net operating income over time and it's just a nice, slow, predictable manner. So uh, somebody listening to this conversation might think, well, this sounds great, Drew, but why would the seller sell the property like this? And also the next question is, um, you know, somebody listening might think, so why wouldn't your single tenant just do what you're doing and buy the property themselves? Yeah, it's always the first question when you're a real estate investor. You're like, well, why would anyone get rid of the property? You know, wait a second. They still, they're not making a profit here. I mean, they are making proceeds, but this isn't a flip for them. They're still operating. It's always better to own instead of lease. You know, this is the perspective we come from as real estate investors um, and, and people who um, buy a house to live in even, right? So I totally get that, but from a business, a commercial business's viewpoint, um, they have to weigh out a lot of other um, uh, objectives, right? A lot of, they have a lot of different motivations, right? They're looking at growing the business. And oftentimes you have a C-suite, a CFO, a CEO, they're working together to um, execute on some initiatives they may have, right? Hey, we wanna uh, start a new product line. We wanna invest in more equipment to um, expand our, our scope and capacity. Let's say they manufacture parts for the auto industry. Hey, we if we buy more equipment and hire more personnel, we can meet the demands of a new possible client and sign a new contract with them. So how do we do that, right? That we need to access capital. So they have this, uh, this sale leaseback transaction. It's one option, right? They have many, they can go get senior debt from a bank um, that comes with some restrictive covenants. They could also get a line of credit on this property. Hey, we own it outright. We'll get a line of credit here and pull off that. Well, they might only be able to access 70% of it. So with the sale lease back to go, hey, we're able to access 100% of this. And not only that, but we don't have to put uh, $10 million or whatever the amount is on our liability side of our balance sheet. So that's really important for them. Especially if they do have some other debts, they are not allowed to pull more debt beyond, you know, X ratio, let's say. So now they're looking at that balance sheet as, hey, this is sensitive. We need to make sure we're following the covenants of our current uh, loan that we have over here. So now if I use a sale lease back, I have all the flexibility in the world, right? I have $10 million, again, in this example um, of proceeds, and I have it in cash. It's not on my liability side. So I have a lot of flexibility and can use this in a lot of different ways without um, binding myself into restrictive rules and covenants, basically. So they use that to grow the company. So it's nice as a landlord, too, when you close on a sale leaseback, you have a business who's now access these proceeds and they're using it to grow the company or at least become more credit worthy, because uh, that's ultimately what you want. You want a very stable, credit worthy tenant. And if they're using it to pay down some debt that they have, well, great. It's not very exciting. 
but it is great. You know that they have less overhead now. You have less risk around them defaulting on debt that the company has. Um, so all that just helps your position as a landlord and securitizes the asset even more. Isn't it fascinating? Obviously, I, I, I knew some of that, but I think just for folks listening might just be thinking, you know, like thinking that, but it is really fascinating when you break it down that way. So I think I think it would be nice if you have a case study of one of your projects, um, new or old, and just kind of walk us through that, that, you know, how you guys, you know, found the deal. Obviously, you guys funded through, you know, um, syndication, but just kind of walk us through a typical case study. Uh, sure, sure. I'll go. Um, I'll go with one we closed in about March of 2020. Um, uh, kind of smaller, it was a Rochester, New York um, property, and it was uh, the it was industrial, but it was actually cold storage. So the seller and tenant in this sale leaseback that we performed was a frozen foods manufacturer, and they had some. Um, uh, they had contracts with some other national retailers. So uh, very. Nice business, but they did have a little bit of turbulence in their financials. So I know I didn't talk about this too much, but you know where the risk is for us. And since we've removed all that other operational risk, we do have a risk that we do a lot of work and zoom in on, which is the credit of this tenant, right? This, this investment is perfectly safe if you know with certainty that the tenant is gonna pay rent, they're, they're gonna be solvent. So that's the biggest thing we look at is how strong is, is this tenant? And we have a credit analysis team, you know, guys with long corporate financial uh, credit analysis uh, experience behind them. So we do a lot of work there, weeks if not months of, uh, of due diligence there. So in this case, we had kind of a smaller company. Um, it was, I'm thinking about uh, in revenue, I think they were doing about uh, 25, 30 million in revenue. So, you know, in the grand scope of things, that's actually fairly on the small side for a lot of the deals we do uh, of the tenant. And that's okay, right? You wanna look at it and say, okay, what are their obligations? Um, how much is rent gonna be for them? And maybe, hey, we're, we're making a profit that's eight or 10 times what our rent obligation is. Okay, that's great, right? We feel really insecure as a landlord there that they're, uh, they're crushing it, right? They're doing great. So this company, in 2018 and 2019 had a little bit of turbulence. So it just, I'm getting a little deep here for the case study, but um, ultimately, you know, the real estate fundamentals were there, it's cold storage, and we were able to negotiate a good price. But the backstory here was, hey, this has this is a tenant with that a little bit of hair and a story behind their credit. What happened here? So this is where we dig in and we really say, what's the story here? And the story was uh, they had, almost 80 or 90% of their revenues coming from one customer, Walmart. So Walmart decided to rearrange some things in their cold case, right? And they said, hey, we're gonna pare back a couple of these SKUs. And um, so ultimately their orders went down, revenues went down uh, quite a bit. And so they lost money for about a year and a half basically. And it was a good learning lesson for them. So they realized, hey, we're way too dependent on a single customer. We need to diversify our customer base. And I'm sure they knew that, but this was the time to act. So they had some new relationships with uh, Target. Um, I think they, you know, I know Sam's Club is owned by Walmart, but uh, they got into Sam's Club and a few other big national retailers, even some overseas in uh, Europe. So that being said, while they strengthened up, Walmart came back luckily and said, hey, you know, we made a mistake. We, we want more of your product in here again. But now they were in a much strengthened position, right? Now Walmart was accounting for about 30 or 40% of their revenues, which is still a little bit heavier, but the company had really started to uh, diversify across customers. So 
putting them in a strong situation. So for us, we said, look, there's a little bit of uh, danger here. This is a little too risky for us, right? You've hit some choppy waters recently. It looks like you're coming out of it, but you know, I don't feel super secure around this. So the owner of the company was a fairly high net worth individual. So we asked him if he'd be willing to put a personal guarantee on the lease. So when you have someone that's worth, you know, 40, $50 million and they say, sure, I will sign on that lease. That's worth quite a bit. So there's a couple of things that happen here for us to get comfortable with a deal that had a great price, but a very high uh, perceived level of risk, right? We were able to not only work through the story and find out what went wrong with this tenant, why they had some troubled, uh, troubled waters here and how you just to understand that risk and understand how they came out of it and how we could analyze that and look at it and really see, okay, they're really on the upward swing and we believe strongly in this tenant. Uh, and then the other part was credit enhancement. Hey, okay, that's a great story, but we still need something to feel a little more comfortable here. So we get a personal guarantee on the lease from the owner. And we kind of creatively set that up. We said, hey, uh, the guy originally didn't want to sign. He said, look, I, you know, how long am I going to be on the hook for this lease? It's a 15-year lease. Um, you know, anything can happen. Who knows? I just feel like I don't want to sign personal guarantees for that length of time. And so we said, look, we want the company to get out of um, the red. And they were already profitable at this point when we were doing the transaction. But we basically set a few financial benchmarks. Um, to be honest, I'm forgetting exactly what they were. But, you know, hit certain... Um, you know, debt to EBITDA ratios, hit certain financial ratios, quick ratio, um, fixed, uh, fixed charge coverage ratio, all these financial, you know, if you go to college and study in uh, business finance, you know, they teach all these for financial analysis. But a few of these, we said, look, you hit these ratios and then you will be released of personal liability. Because then at that point, we know the company is much stronger. You've really come out of the woods um, of where you were um, in a big way. So that was a, a nice creative way to structure that enhanced credit and ultimately get a great deal on a property that ultimately uh, traded for a much lower price because that perceived level of risk around that tenant. So, um, you know, cold storage is a very in-demand um, piece, just one part of the industrial real estate asset class, but it's really even higher demand than most industrial real estate because you can imagine there's a huge... Um, Huge need for cold storage as there's more um, delivery grocery services and all kinds of food services. Uh, and not to mention the cost of replacement is really high on cold storage because of all the insulation and the costs that go into constructing these buildings. So, you know, maybe a dry, you know, regular industrial property, 30, 30 foot clear height ceilings might be 150, 160 bucks a foot. We're talking about around 250 bucks a foot for cold storage. So a lot of inherent value there in demand. So I know long story short, um, we yeah. worked it out in the asset. So a little bit, quick story, quick note on the end of that, which is um, this, we closed on this property basically uh, a few weeks into COVID. And so you can imagine that made for some challenges. However, you know, we looked around and no one knew exactly how everything was going to go, but we said, look, this is why we invest in these kinds of assets with these tents. They're essential. They're they're manufacturing foods for grocery stores. And as we saw, who stayed open, right? Grocery stores had to stay open. So these guys actually went up about 30% in revenues because of people really hoarding uh, food and supplies and frozen food, especially in this case. They said, look, I got a freezer at home loaded up. Let's get all the food. I'm afraid of shortages or Armageddon, right? So the tenant did really well and still um, doing fantastic today.
Well, thank you so much. That's a fascinating story. Um, I can keep going on and on and asking you more questions, but we'll definitely, definitely dwell into the quick rounds. These are going to be quick questions, quick answers. You ready, sure. sir? Absolutely. All right. First question. What makes you, Drew, unique? What is that differentiating factor that separates you from the next guy or the next girl? Wow. Um, I've been told that I have uh, the gift of gab. I like to talk, as you can tell, probably going over our time already. But um, uh, I think I think uh, I see myself as a pretty approachable person. You know, I'm, I don't take myself too seriously. And um, I'd say uh, being uh, being not taking myself too seriously and, and loving to hang out and talk with people. Um, that's something I enjoy day to day in, in my work and kind of just building relationships like that. But um, uh, you know, outside of that, making me unique. I'm uh, two two qualities I have. I'm a good cook, I think. Yeah, but and I also do woodwork. Oh, nice! Oh, nice! So, I like so that. So people, you know, work in front of computers. Yeah, we don't do a lot with our hands, but I, I need to do something with my hands. So I do some woodworking, some fancy uh, small furniture and cutting boards and things like that. That's awesome. Second question: okay. What was the last book that you read, and what was the one thing you picked up from that book? Um, I'm currently listening to an audiobook, so uh, I have to consume most of my books that way. I just can't feel like I can find the time to just stick my nose in a book, especially when you have kids and you go, I don't want to take away all the time that I have with them. So I listen to audiobooks whenever I can, and I'm listening to um, uh, Am I Being Too Subtle by Sam Zell, kind of a somewhat well-known real estate billionaire. And um, the guy, I'd say the thing I pick up is really um, you know, that example that I just gave is a, is a perfect one uh, because Sam Zell talks about, hey, when everyone's looking left, I look right. You know, when everyone's going zigging, I'm zagging. And not just to do that, but I'm going to go explore this area where everyone says there's no opportunity here and this is a, a bad place to invest. I'm going to go over there and at least examine what I, the opportunity there. Is there an opportunity here? Is there a reason uh, why everyone's, you know, running away as fast as they can. So in that case, I'll run over here and I'll ask questions. And so that, that frozen food manufacturer I talked about, it's a great example, right? Hey, there's troubled waters. They have, you know, they just came off a year and a half of losing money. Do you really want a piece of real estate with a tenant who looks like they're going out of business? You know, that kind of thing. So uh, in this case, you know, we kind of do the same thing. Let's look into this. Let's ask questions. Let's understand what's happening here and then try to get creative into finding an opportunity that doesn't have that same amount of risk that people think it does. So um, that's, I'm kind of enjoying hearing that because it applies a lot to what we do. Yeah. Final question. What do you do for fun? Uh, talked a little bit about woodworking. That's great. Um, I, you know, it's summertime. I'm in California. It's uh, when it's not blazing hot. Um, I love to go hiking. I take my kids out. Um, we've been swimming nonstop, I feel like. So it's just been great. I mean, I, my, my kids are at an age where I'm just trying to soak it up as much as I can. They're four and six. So I just trying to get as much as I can of that. But it's fun to get outside and, and hike. And over you know the last 12 months with COVID, uh, we've done a lot of that, right? That was kind of all of a sudden my newfound love for finding new trails and getting out there just kind of exploring on foot um, all of these places, these great um, hills that are around me here and sort of finding um, new trails that I haven't been on before. Awesome. No, I, I, can, I can only imagine. Yeah. So anyway, if somebody's listening and thinking, hey, 
um, really want to connect with you. I want to learn more about the single tenant triple or absolute triple net leases. Where's the best place people can reach out to you, get to know you more? Yeah, thank you. Uh, you can email me directly, drew at magcp.com. That's D-R-E-W at M-A-G-C-P.com. Or you can just go to our website and check it out um, and register there. And, and you know, we'll have a phone call. And if you're interested in kind of seeing what deals we have, uh, reach out. Uh, that website's M-A-G-C-P.com. Drew, you're a legend. Appreciate it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Ella. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You may have heard the phrase, there are a thousand ways to make a thousand dollars in real estate. Well, now you can actually tune into the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast with over a thousand, believe it, or a thousand podcasts and still going. The best real estate investing advice ever show is hosted by a very good friend of mine, Joe Fellers. Joe talks to influential thought leaders. We share the best advice ever with none of the fluff. You've got to check this stuff out. So listen and subscribe at bestevershow.com. That's bestevershow.com.